0: Welcome to Live Leadership, Innovation, Ventures, and Entrepreneurship, a podcast that showcases the talents, skills, and abilities of UT faculty, staff, and students. I'm your host, Brandon Jones, Associate Director for Student Learning and Development in Housing and Dining, and we're excited to have you listening to us. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Live Leadership, Innovation, Ventures, and Entrepreneurship Podcast. Uh, sponsored by the University Housing and Dining. I'm your host, Brandon Jones, Associate Director for Student Learning and Development. And today is the, what I'm calling, graduation edition of the podcast. By the time this episode comes out, uh, graduation at UT will have occurred and uh, life will be different for our Texas exes. And so I wanted to feature somebody uh, who I really felt like, you know, needed to be gassed up, uh, AKA get get a little bit of a spotlight and really maximize their um, student experience while they were at the university. And so I have with me today, none other than Adrian, be real. (laughs) Uh, I was a, graphic design major, a uh, former graphic design major at UT, now has a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in design from the great city of Waco, Texas, uh, with that 3.5 GPA, uh, co-founded member of the Onyx Honor Society, uh, the Johannes Leonardo Design Intern, the Friar Society, the Tejas Club, Adele Scholar, and also has his own website at Adrian. And we'll make sure that that's in the liner notes for you. So without further ado, I want to introduce everybody to
1: Adrian, but real Adrian, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for that introduction, Brandon. I really appreciate it.
0: It's my pleasure. It is my pleasure. Uh, Congratulations on graduating. How does it feel to be on the
1: other side? Uh it feels good. It's a big relief. No more classes don't have to think about registering for anything uh, anymore it's yeah it's it's a nice feeling. it's really great well good
0: well' good so we're we're gonna dive in and we'll get to obviously the things that you're currently working on um we're gonna dive in and talk about you know uh the post graduation experience. Mm-hmm trying to finish school in the middle of a pandemic. Um, we're going to talk about that. But we definitely got to talk about a couple of things that are near and dear to my heart. And one of the things that I i mean, you were always an active student. I've been here since 2017, and you've always been a student that's active and engaged. And you can be found doing the work, not really doing a ton of talking, but The one project that I really fell in love with of yours is the Black Yearbook. And when I heard that you were doing it, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be amazing. I can't wait to see um, what comes of this. Can you tell the audience um, what is the Black Yearbook? Um, What did you do? What inspired you to start that? And then when is it coming out? That's what the the world (laughs) is want to know. Inquiring minds want to know, brother. Uh. Give us all the the tea. Uh, Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So the Black Yearbook is a fine art piece. A lot of people, when they hear it, they uh, immediately think like, oh, a traditional yearbook, which is dope. Um, but when I was thinking about doing this project, uh, I really wanted to create something that was going to speak larger volume than, you know, what a typical yearbook does, which is kind of convey the, you know, the surface level of what happens on a campus. Mm-hmm. And this has actually been a project that's two years in the making. So For two years, I've kind of been grooming this idea. It didn't actually start out as the Black Yearbook. Uh, Last year, actually, I did a project called 1.7, which was about the experience of Black males on campus. And um, when I was doing my research, I signed up for this advanced photo class. And through signing up for that class, um, I had never taken a photo class before. So this was my first time um, really being in that photo environment. And so I've always taken pictures, always kind of, been part of that community and out of the blue I took this class and it's thesis based so you know you pick your topic and then you go from there so I wanted to talk about black men and femininity like what does that really mean what Mm -hmm. does that look like and you know I started taking pictures and my class is like you know you say your work is about this but like you're ending up in a completely different space visually so for me it was kind of like a reckoning like okay like I'm saying this one thing but what am I actually capturing so kind of made me think more critically about my work um and after that I started diving deep into expanding that and then you know we had to back up a lot of our images by research and I found out that in the fall of 2017 only 925 black men had enrolled at the university and so for me that was just like really shocking um I don't think a lot of people know that number. Um, that That's a very shocking number. That's, you know, that's very um, small. You can fit mm-hmm. all the Black men in Hog Auditorium and still have seats left over. Mm-hmm. And that was really the part that got me was because, you know, we have culture shock in Hog Auditorium. And when I put that into perspective, I was like, wow, like, that's not a lot of Black men. Um, and, you know, not all of those people necessarily identify with, you know, everything that is Black at UT. So. When you really think about it, how many black men you're seeing in front of your face every day? It's not that many. So, from there, I showcased that work at the George Washington Carver Museum in East Austin. Um, that was kind of like my first time ever displaying work publicly, mm-hmm. and I really liked putting that work out there. It got great feedback, great responses from students, and I think I was kind of overwhelmed a little bit with the positive responses because I think at the time I. I never really saw myself um, as someone who could, you know, make such an impact with my work. But then, you know, after a while, after seeing what I had really done, I started to admire it a little bit more. Okay. But rewinding a little bit, um, back in last December, I had never done a film photography before. I'd always done digital, and mm-hmm. so my professor was like, "Hey, I think you should try film." this would be a good challenge for you. You'll really get a lot out of this. So it was my first time really dabbling with that. And if anybody's ever shot film photography, you know, it's yeah. it's a challenge. Like you make a mistake, that's, you know, that's the mistake. And sometimes yeah, yeah. it's, yeah, sometimes it's happy mistakes. Sometimes it's like bad mistakes. And so it was a real learning curve for me, um, learning how to color correct images, all these like really nitty gritty things. So for me in the post of all of that, I was kind of thinking, you know, where can this work really go? I had already gotten like a great response from everyone and people were, you know, wondering what the next thing was going to be. And so from there I said, okay, I'll do a project about all Black students. Um, And the name didn't even really come to me until like right before school started. It, It was very random. I just so happened to be sitting at home and I was like, this is kind of like a black yearbook in a way. Like this is a compilation of like experiences, moments, Mm -hmm. um, different things that are happening in people's lives. And so Uh, I really kind of just stumbled upon that title and I was like, this works, this really works for this. So um, I ended up fundraising about $5,000 to do like the production for like the images, scanning, developing all that stuff. And so through that, I was able to um, take pictures of students using film photography I got over 200 images uh and with the help of one of my friends Shay we interviewed 100 black students so wow. the narratives are powerful it's it's such a wide variety of um of um people like there I don't think there's one collective um, stream of consciousness and that's kind of what I'm trying to prove with this project is that like you know blackness isn't this monolithic thing we're not mm-hmm. this caricature that you see and popular media, we've progressed past that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time people see that like in totality. So that's part of one of the larger motivations for doing this project. That's awesome. So you said yeah. a lot there and, I, and I'm... I'm yeah.
0: No, 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 you're good, you're good. <laughs> because, here's, okay. because here's the thing, the reason why I wanted you to open up with that is because I know that there are gonna be students Uh, right now attending orientation sessions, right, Mm -hmm. that are going to be listening to this. There are going to be students starting classes whenever they choose to listen to this episode, and Mm -hmm. um, they're going to be wondering how they're going to fit at a place like UT, or if they're a Black student at any school, for that matter, because this this podcast isn't just limited to folks here at our university. Uh, While we feature folks at our university, there's going to be students everywhere listening to this, and so what I'm wanting people to see, especially our Black students, when they arrive on those on our on their college campuses wherever they are Uh, i want them to start thinking about you know what are some experiences that they can take advantage of you talked about not having any experience with film photography and so from a generational standpoint when i was a graphic design major um you know uh that's why we had it was film photography (laughs) Digital photography came along later, but they wouldn't let us take digital until we took film, just like they wouldn't let us get behind a computer screen until we took 2D design, until we took 2D, 3D, basic drawing, advanced, all of that stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just funny how seeing how some things are the same, but mm-hmm. what was it like uh, being in that film photography uh, mm-hmm. class? Because that... One thing that college students that I work with struggle a lot with is Mm -hmm. being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Talk to me about what you learned in that film photography class about stretching yourself and being uncomfortable.
1: Right. Uh, So my very first critique, I kind of got the fire lit right underneath me. And (laughs) they said, oh, have your prints ready for class. And I was like, "Okay." You know, I went to my printer, printed out the pictures and, you know, pinned them up on the wall. And I looked to the left and to the right and everyone has these like really nice, giant, you know, premium luster prints on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I'm confused because I'm like, I didn't right. know that was kind of how we were doing that. So, you know, there were moments where I really had to push myself to pick up kind of like two years worth of material in the span of a couple of weeks in order to play catch up through that process. So I think part of it was just being open to learning and kind of understanding that like, I'm allowed to make these mistakes. Like nobody's perfect. And through that process, I really just wanted to, I was open through the entire thing. Like, even if it was uncomfortable, I just kept an open mind about, you know, accepting that I didn't know what I was doing. I think that was a big part of it was like, Accepting that I didn't know everything that I thought I knew about photography, I didn't know about photography because mm-hmm. I've been shooting digital for so long mm-hmm. and I was very comfortable there. And then I started doing film, and I was very uncomfortable there. And so mm-hmm. allowing myself to be uncomfortable so that I could grow as an artist was something that was really important too.
0: And I think that's the important part about being in a learning environment and mm-hmm. for the folks who are faculty and staff or wherever they find themselves today, a part of an organization, a learning organization, it's all about those learning opportunities. And I think that too many times people, because of the lack of familiarity or an unwillingness to stretch and grow, miss out on some key opportunities to grow in their respective disciplines or in their respective crafts to um, like stretch. And so I really appreciate you sharing that with us, especially, I cannot emphasize that enough, especially for our students, Okay. who are listening to this. And so I really thank you for taking on the uh black yearbook. So yeah. let's get to the T portion of that. Uh-huh. When's this thing <laughs> coming out, man? We, like we we we've been hearing about it. I know uh-huh. Black U T has been gassing this up since mm-hmm.
1: we heard about it. And right.
0: my brother wanna know, man, when is the black yearbook gonna drop?
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that's the question of the summer right now. So okay. I will be officially done with the book at the end of this month. Okay. And that's like all the design elements, the photo elements. Excellent. Um, and it takes some time to really, you know, there's a lot of care going into everything. And mm-hmm. when I started working on this book, um, there was a lot of me trying to pull references for things that like I liked different design treatments that I thought sure. would be useful for sure. conveying this message. And, you know, part of my inspiration behind it is like, I've never seen a book about black people be made in the same style that I've really seen books be made about, um, upper echelon, like white people. Hmm. And so that's a big chunk of, um, my inspiration is like, it's very similar to what Kehinde Wiley does with his paintings.
2: Yes. You know, he's, t- Exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's the exact same thing. It's like, you know, if black people want to, you know, believe that they can be presented in this like same way that this more Renaissance style in a way that, you know, is deemed more um, polished in this like higher art form then you know, let's like give ourselves that treatment. Um, And it's not to say that any of the other stuff that uh, we've done is any less uh, great. But I I do think there's something to be said to kind of take those things and be a little tongue in cheek about it, Mm -hmm. especially because we're in an era now where everything's being challenged. Um, You know, you're having photographers shoot for some of the largest fashion publications for the very first time, black photographers. And that's becoming more and more common. So, in a way, it's kind of like proving that you know, we can, we always could walk that walk if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we've we never needed to rely on those things to kind of tell our story. But the reason that I kind of choose to lean into that is because, you know, again, going back to the idea that Blackness isn't this uh, monolithic thing, mm-hmm. um, the important part for me with the interviews and the imagery was that none of it would be similar. It all needed to have this eclectic feel. And so all of my images, all unique, all of my, um, so they're all in different photo styles. They're not all one consistent photo Mm -hmm. style, not all shot on the same camera. Um, All of the interviews, they all have different typesets, all very unique, personalized to whatever the interview is. So each of those elements is very much intentionally handled with a lot of care. Um, I have two other designers that are helping me as well. And so Mm -hmm. We've spent a lot of time just talking about, you know, how whenever you're whenever you open a book um, there, especially like larger books that tend to have the textbook format, um, tiny typography, uh, similar typeface. Whenever you see that, it can be a little intimidating or you just generally don't want to read it. And so we've really been going above and beyond our means to really have a lot of this uh, these type elements jump out at you. Mm-hmm. And I guess to answer your question on when the book is going to be released, yeah. um, there will be an, a large update uh, in the middle of July. Okay. And, uh, and there will be a lot of things that will be coming out. Um, okay. Yeah, I can't say too much because they're do So,
0: so, so yeah. I take it that you got a publishing deal. I take I take uh, it that you got a publisher.
1: I, I might have worked on something. OK, um, OK, hey, a, hey,
0: hey, I, I ain't messing up nobody's coins. <laughs> hey, I'm not messing up nobody's coins. You yeah. good? I, I, we looking at each other through the camera? <laughs> For those of y'all trying to figure out what's going on, I'm, I'm getting the look that I need to just back off and let my brother do his thing. <laughs> I'm not trying to ruin nobody's publishing deal. We got this yeah. This young brother, you know, just graduated got a potentially quote-unquote potentially got a publishing deal in the works all yeah. i want to know is when i buy my copy notice i said buy y'all y'all don't hear me asking for the <laughs> hookup or the connection i said when we buy so let, let's buy and support this young man uh when we buy it i just got. can a brother get a signed copy that's all i oh, need.
1: absolutely okay yeah, that's all sure. i care
0: about listen that uh-huh. me. You know, everybody on campus who publishes like Dr. Joseph or Dr. Reddick, Dr. Coakley and others, uh, when they publish in these books, I I try to make it a point to get these signatures because one thing that happens in UT is a place like no other. Uh, So Mm -hmm. many talented students, so many, uh, I mean, these students are doing amazing things. And that's one of my inspirations for doing this podcast. But Mm -hmm. also, I try to encourage students at every school I've ever worked at, take advantage of this now. Like, meet people like Adrian now um, and others uh, like uh, Yoon Lee, who developed the Pop app. We had him on our first episode of the show. Uh, Meet Ami and Cameron, you know, now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) before they blow up and make it big. You know, had them on the show a while back. And so I'm I'm trying to encourage students to make the most of this college experience, mm-hmm. like what you've done. And I think right. and as a father, that's important to me as well, because, you know, mm-hmm. you know, my kids aren't college age in any sense of the word yet. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, you know, if I want my son and my daughter to, you know, express themselves to the world, I want to mm-hmm. make sure that they're doing it like you doing it, man. Yeah. This, I wish I could go back to (laughs) 05 and 06, man, and Uh go back to my my undergrad at ACU and sit in the lab a little bit longer and Mm -hmm. listen to my advisor when my advisor told me print's going to die. So learn digital and do better. (laughs) I wish I would have (laughs) listened. My advisor said, Hey man, you know, I really think you should get in the web and I think you should, Mm -hmm. you know, jump into digital. I'm like, man, nah, print, print is forever, man. This, This is thousands of years. And After I graduated, Apple announced the iPad, and I'm like, man, nobody's going to buy that. That thing is weak. And... by December, New York Times. My iPad's
1: right over there.
0: Oh, I got one right over here, (laughs) you know? Uh And I just remember that first one being so big. I'm like, nobody's going to buy that. And then that same year, my alma mater got a contract with AT&T so that incoming class could either get an iPhone, an iPod, or they could buy an iPad if they wanted one. And then Mm -hmm. uh, New York Times, all the major publications, we're switching to digital subscriptions. And I'm like, I just watched the whole industry change <laughs> right after I graduated. And so I'm like, yep. it wasn't a pandemic, but it was definitely a shift. you know. And I knew I was mm-hmm. going into education afterwards anyway, but because uh-huh. this was my primary major, I was like, man. Mm-hmm. So you talked about Kahinde Wiley. And for those of you who uh-huh. don't know who Kahende Wiley is, Kahinde Wiley is a uh, L.A.-born, uh, Brooklyn-stationed, um, painter and the, the painting that most people would probably know Kehinde Wiley for is the uh Obama picture with the floral print in the background. Uh it's phenomenal. Uh I, I love it. And you know and I love Kehinde Wiley's style. So uh thank you for point out other Black artists. See, Adrian, don't throw shade. <laughs> Adrian shares the love over here. I'm yep. giving A lot of shout-outs to Black artists over here. So um, another thing you talked about that I want to I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit more on is your style. Because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hearing you say that you want to... You, you didn't allow yourself to be con- confined to the traditional norms of mm-hmm. just this boxed-in um Rick, same Times New Roman font, name, picture, that's it, yearbook style. Like you, you have, you're gonna have various typesets, you're gonna use uh, different colors, you're gonna do different interview styles. And in our training as designers, Typically, we it's very easy to get boxed in, right? Mm-hmm. Especially depending on the company or the organization you're choosing to design or work for. There's these right. conventions and these stylistic norms that mm-hmm. I've seen black artists quit school over because the academy mm-hmm. boxes them in. Talk mm-hmm. to the students out there who might be considering graphic design, or those students who already are doing it, but you know they 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 want to continue doing it on the side. How do you mm-hmm. how did you keep from stylistically allowing yourself to get boxed in by the academy? Because that happens right. to arts a lot.
1: Yeah, it's really hard. It was difficult for me when I first joined the design program and I was really trying to find my my ways into the program. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they teach you a lot about brand guidelines and consistency and finding your voice as an artist. But, I mean, I've been getting told very recently by a lot of creative directors that they think the new general creative can do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a very fair assumption. Like when I think about artists like Margaret Zhang, she kind of blew up on Tumblr at age 17. She was in boardrooms at age 17, giving mm-hmm. presentations mm-hmm. to these billionaires about how to make their brands better. And it's like, it's insane on, to man. me. That was a And kid, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, when you hear about people like that and, you know, you ask them, you know, what's your advice, they usually tell you like, don't follow the rules. Um, and I mm. think that's great advice, particularly for designers, artists of all kinds, because I think, you know, the status quo is always going to go out of the window. But mm. I think it's nice to, I would say, learn all of the traditional things, because it's better to know them than to not know them. Yes, sir. And then do what you want after you know the traditional things, because it doesn't hurt you to know the, ba- the basics. Um, Because someone might hire you. They might pay you really well for knowing the basics. um, Mm -hmm. And then they'll pay you a little extra for being able to do your own thing and kind of tweak small parts of your work to kind Mm -hmm. of uh, tailor to this, like this theme that you're working on.
0: I wish you would have been around to come tell me that (laughs) when I was an (laughs) undergraduate student. Because for me, you know, my little cousin uh, is a uh, fine arts major at University Mm -hmm. of Texas at Tyler, uh, back home Mm -hmm. in my hometown. And... Um, I've got, you know, there's been several of us who majored in either some form of fine arts or graphic design in undergrad and the common thread that especially, you know, us being black that we've, we've, we've realized is there's this imposter syndrome that shows up because, yeah. you know, growing up where I grew up, I didn't get my, I didn't touch an Apple computer, at least from a design standpoint until mm. I was 20 years old. Uh, In college, most Mm -hmm. of my peers had been working on Photoshop. And at that time, uh, Macromedia uh, was the big giant doing freehand until Adobe Mm -hmm. bought everything. And then software was ridiculously expensive. So Mm -hmm. where I'm from, we have access to any of that. And so I was groomed for a different track in my high school. So mm-hmm. art wasn't what they were pushing me towards. They were pushing me more towards the STEM disciplines mm-hmm. or the medical profession. But graphic design was where my heart always was. And so there's mm-hmm. going to be students that show up whose parents are telling them right now. And, I, and, I'm, and I've encountered some of these parents that uh-huh. they can't make any money doing this or that there's no Not future too in doing this talk That's to those parents true. right now who are listening because i'm yeah. a parent of a child who uh ha- i can already see with no training from me and no help my daughter i can put her at this easel or this dry erase board right now and she'll go off and just do mm-hmm. her own thing and i'm and I'm, right. I'm seeing that there's some things she's picking up naturally and mm-hmm. then i but i'm scared that i was telling my cousin the other day i'm scared that i'm gonna ruin it for because mm-hmm. the academy is going to come out talk yeah. to those parents and those people who are listening right now who are mm-hmm. trying to tell um, your generation mm-hmm. uh and the uh, and the other younglings in your generation that there's no right. future <laughs> in uh what what you do as a designer that it needs to be uh-huh. a side hobby talk to those people right now
1: yeah um so growing up my mom was very encouraging of me kind of doing the arts and kind of participating in everything creative. And then when I got in high school, it flipped and it was like, now my dad's on that side but my mom's like, no, like, <laughs> I think you should just go be an engineer. Like, cause I, I had learned AutoCAD, like I can do 3d renderings. I don't wow. like doing it, but I know how to do it. Wow. Um, and so it was something that I really had to decide on my own. I was like, I want to do this. I'm passionate about this, but, I will say that, like, I, get, I agree with you that that is a common thread of, you know, like parents, they, I understand the concern and the sure. worry, but Starry the industry artists, is, right. Op- <laughs> right. And like the industry has opened up so much, like everyone's hiring an art director, everyone's hiring a UX designer, a mm-hmm. UI designer. It's, there's nothing, there's nothing more powerful than being able to sketch out your ideas and bring them to life because seeing is believing a lot of times. And if you can draw, if you can draw, you can do anything. And Mm -hmm. I think that is my one, like, if there was one thing that I would pick on my parents about, it's not pushing me to keep drawing when I was younger. Because, you know, when we're in the art core classes, they teach you like, you know, when you're getting clients, it's not always possible to get the idea in front of them as fast as they want it. Mm -hmm. And the next best thing to be able to communicate the idea is like being able to draw. Yes. Uh, being able to do a sketch being able to do a mock-up like all those things that kind of give you a skeleton mm-hmm. for your idea they're so important um and I will say a lot of the work that I've gotten in the creative space is solely because I've I've just asked and I've just thrown the ideas out there mm-hmm. and because I had a loose framework of what I wanted to do people just say yes yeah, um, and they kind of understand it and I'm able to articulate it because I can draw my ideas out I can put them on paper. People get it. They're like, okay, I see what you're doing, you know. Um, and so it becomes easier. And I think this idea that there isn't any money in the creative field is it's, it's mm-hmm. a giant myth. And yes. I, I think it's something that I personally have kind of made it my mission to, you know, anytime I encounter like a young black creative, I'm like, no, yes, like come to the creative space mm-hmm. because I will say there are very, very few black um creatives that are creative directors Mm -hmm. or are designers in general. They're very like scarce and few just because Mm -hmm. of the fact that, you know, this myth is like pushed off onto people. You know, it's fine to go to school, get a business degree and decide you want to do do design or photography after. Uh, I've encountered a lot of people that end up doing that. And I'm always surprised when their undergrad is in, you know, um, business. Mm -hmm. But I think, the conversation I always end up having with them is them saying, they wish I would have done what I did Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, it leaves you more fulfilled, more opportunities, more Mm -hmm. things to work on. And I've kind of learned through this college experience is like, and this is more a note for students, but you have to make your college experience work for you, not the other way around. Like your education shouldn't, um, it it shouldn't be uh, you kind of waiting for your education to serve you which it sounds backwards. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, like you get an assignment in your art core class and they're like, all right, your assignment is to create a art piece that, um, create a continuous art piece that runs off the page.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, cool.
1: You could do the very simple thing and do lines running straight off the page. Or you can create something that you could potentially also use to pitch to a client. And now you you, you it's a win-win. You mm-hmm. pass your assignment and now you have uh, materials that you can actually use for your portfolio. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I think through going through all of these classes and you know having small petty beef with professors about what I what I'm yes. interested in and it, it, yeah, like you, <laughs> you know gotta fight for it. Right, you have to show them that you really want it. And I think the moment I started fighting for the projects that I wanted to work on and proving to them that I could accomplish those things and just mm-hmm. honestly just doing it. Um, they stopped fighting me so much about it. And so I will say, you know, the fear that uh there aren't any career opportunities in the creative space, I think they're very unreasonable. Um I have mm-hmm. a lot of friends who do UX design and you know, they make six figure salaries. Yep. Um I-, I could go do UX design any day, but that's not something that I'm interested that's what in. You're passionate so about. right. But you know And that
0: what Dr. Moore tell us all the time, man, mm-hmm. pursue your passion, not the paper. Right.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah and it's like those are great opportunities and they lead to great things um but i think that you know when you really find something and you Mm -hmm. just you keep sharpening that one skill down to the Mm -hmm. t you become so limitless with like what you can really do with it and i think that's what's you know kind of made my passion kind of grow, grow out of control is that you know i started doing something and i was like wow i really like this let me invest in myself, invest in my passion. And you really start to see a lot of the benefits from it. Um, A licensing agency just reached out to me about my photographs. They're like, hey, we want to license your images. Um, And it's all because, you know, they find my work through other publications, Mm -hmm. then they start looking at my portfolio. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, in the process of, you know, trying to put myself out there and give myself more exposure, other people will find you along the way. So, I think where I used to be worried or struggling or trying to figure out what's really next, Mm -hmm. you kind of just learn the same thing they say about life is that it's really a journey. Um, There's no one particular roadmap. You can roadmap it out all day. You can literally do it all day. But life will always be a journey and it'll always have twists and turns.
0: It's not linear, man. I tell students, right. all you may have heard me say this. I tell students success is not this linear thing. There's not this point A, mm-hmm. point B, and then yep. you get to see the graduation. It's like, nah, mm-hmm. you may get a point A and then point A, square mm-hmm. three, block yep. number four. <laughs> it, it may go all over the place and ultimately you may get to that point. But, it, yep. you know, I, I I give the example of how... You know, when I was in undergrad, I wanted to design shoes for Nike. Like, Mm -hmm. I was in love with what Tinker Hatfield was doing with the Jordans. Mm -hmm. Um, I had looked at uh, Scoop Jackson's book, um, the sole influence on all those uh-huh. th- 30 years of Nike Nike shoes. And I'm like, I'm going to the University of Oregon <laughs> for my master's and uh-huh. I'm going to work for Nike, but I'm gonna find my way back into higher education. I might teach classes mm-hmm. or something. It didn't work out like that. But mm-hmm. for me, uh, it was always that thing, man. I'm like, I gotta create, I gotta create. And for me, the creative solution to what I do in education, I mm-hmm. always bring that to the table. you know. And people, you know, when, when they, every job I've been hired, for, I tell people, I'm like, look, you, you're getting a two for one. You got somebody who's going to think critically and can work the academy, but I'm going to come to the table being able to be that person to go talk to the marketing office and my, mm-hmm. our marketing team. Uh, shout out to the marketing team in housing and dining. They love me because mm-hmm. I can speak the language. I can come in mm-hmm. there and say, hey, this is the kind of project we want. I already know the mm-hmm. color palette. I already know right. the, hex codes and mm-hmm. the Pantone matching system number. Mm-hmm. I already know uh, what fonts. I, I know all of that mm-hmm. stuff already coming in. Yep. And so the Projects that I get to, to do and be a part of have been mm-hmm. phenomenal, especially here at UT. Like even this podcast, I went mm-hmm. to our marketing team and told them, this is what I want to do. They were the ones <laughs> that helped me come up with the title. They created the yes. graphic. We got a show now. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm with you. I tell parents all the time, I was like, y'all, I'm doing a podcast. I help create Mm -hmm. promotional graphics. I've designed my own flyers for events. Mm -hmm. And they were like, who did y'all get to design that? I was like, I did. (laughs) I was like, "Mm, paying off these student loans. I'm like, oh no, this degree is going to get put to use. But I also think uh, what you said is critical in that uh, when you said, and I may title the episode this, uh, you said don't follow the rules because Mm -hmm. that's the truth. Drawing, It's easy to get boxed in with that, but it's when Uh you just let go and loosen up that you have Mm -hmm. the most fun doing it. And I I really like that. Now, we're talking about Mm -hmm. following the rules, you know, when it comes to art and all these other different Mm -hmm. things. But I also want you to spend a a couple minutes talking to us about being a black creative uh, Mm -hmm. today because you hear that title, especially from your generation lot about I'm you know on Twitter I'm an influencer Mm -hmm. on Instagram I'm a black creative and that has taken on a different meaning from Mm -hmm. when I was in school not even 20 years ago I mean it wasn't wasn't even 20 years like this we're talking you know about less less than 20 like less than 15 to be exact because I graduated in 2006 and from Mm -hmm. undergrad and being a black creative then meant you were either a graphic designer um, you were a somebody who did television and radio or film but there was no there was a youtube but there was like not folks like us with our own channels Uh and subscriptions and all it was very few like ryan leslie Mm -hmm. uh would have been uh, a prime example of somebody Mm -hmm. like that talk to me about what it means to you uh to be a black creative uh Mm -hmm. today in 2020
1: yeah so yeah it it sometimes it feels like a loaded term almost because you know black Mm -hmm. creatives and by the social media definition, do everything. Yeah, um do. they do photography, graphic design, uh, marketing, social media coordination. They do everything you need. They can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really admire that, like hustle, because it's. I think it's opened up so many spaces um, yes. for Black people, like just showing that you know we're cap- just as capable as the next person of kind of doing some of these things. I think that's really important. Um, and you know, I often hear, "Oh, there's not enough room for everybody to do this thing." And mm-hmm. you know, there is. There's enough people with ideas, enough people yes. with startups. Like there, there. I feel like there's every uh, every week there's a new startup that is being started by a black student, and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't consider, um, particularly like the amount of creative work that has to go into it. Mm-hmm. Your website, your logo, your app, your colors, your inspiration, man. your concept, on, and man. people need black creatives for that work. And so the work want is the there, black dollar. <laughs> right? Exactly. And so I think um, one thing I've kind of learned is that I've been trying to make sure not to, you know, undermine my own um, capabilities, especially when I'm like approached. Um, it can be very easy to kind of, you know, put yourself down if it's a higher level client and someone that um, you already know has like a big name and mm-hmm. the expectations are really high. And sure. so I think, you know, validating yourself is one way to kind of like stay out of that rut. Um, why is that important? And I want you to talk
0: about yeah. why that's important because I mm-hmm. fell into that and I yeah. wish somebody um, as creative as yourself Uh, had come along, was around for me to look to and go, okay, I can look at what Adrian is doing and Mm -hmm. Adrian is like uplifting us and Mm -hmm. calling, it's like, hey, we can do this. Why is it important to affirm and validate yourself and to not uh, undermine your abilities when the big name client or somebody with a lot of pull and resources is coming along? Why is that important? Tell our students that.
1: Right. Um, Well, I think for one, you know, if they're there, they're talking to you, they're approaching you, they're following you, they're liking your content. They're there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not by mistake that, you know, they found you by any means. And, you know, in a lot of my work, when I was like starting to write about like, you know, black people and, you know, what we really stand for, I started capitalizing black. Um, because it's an affirmation of identity mm-hmm. that we're here, um, and it's more directly associated with the culture as opposed to the color. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for me, that was something that I started doing to affirm my identity, and I just think that's important for you know the sake of uh, that part of yourself, um, mm-hmm. especially at UT. I feel like that's something that can be uh, it can sometimes get lost in translation a lot of times and. <sighs> you know, I feel like it's important to emphasize that like you're a black designer, you're a black creative, Mm -hmm. um, because people will try and take that away from you and they'll try and rebrand you as something else. Mm -hmm. So before anybody even gets the opportunity to, you know, define you and set the standard for you, you can already tell them like, this is who I am. Or like, this is how I work. This is how, um, I define myself in this space. And Mm -hmm. I think that's just really important. Um, and you know, being a black creative doesn't look the same for everyone. And I don't think that there's one particular way to be a black creative. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can do it so many different ways. We have stylists on campus, we have hairstylists, we have makeup artists. And, you know, though some of these people do this um, just for fun, it's like a side hobby to them. It doesn't take away, you know, the talent that they have. Um, And I think that's, what the real difference is between, you know, someone who does it for two hours a week as opposed to 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like, you know, the natural talent and the raw talent and, you know, someone who learned these skills over time. And, you know, photography is one thing that I would say I learned over time, but my eye for seeing things that, you know, are aesthetically pleasing, yes. that's something that I always kind of had. Um, and I think you have to kind of recognize what you have that makes you special, that makes your work um, different from everybody else's. That's what drew that- me to your work though. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: When I look at your photography, when I was, when I, cause I've been watching you for a while now. Yeah. And <laughs> what, drew, what drew me to your work was your eye. I, mm-hmm. I would look at your photography and I'm like, cause I, I'm, I'm somebody that when I took photography, I'm like, look, my, you know, me and the aperture and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, cool, I can, I can zero in, I can pan mm-hmm. better than most. I said, but one thing I know I have, I was like, I and I, but I undermined it to your point, mm-hmm. was the eye I had for not just not the detail per se, but more so mm-hmm. like I can be out and talking and my wife would be like, You see something, don't you? I'm like, Yep. Mm-hmm. And I and I capture it like. Yeah, I see it. I see the moment and I capture it the way I want to. And that's something that drew me to your work was your eye for the right angle or, oh my God, mm. that light is hitting at the perfect time. Like, let me get this now. Mm. That's something that I, I really liked about your work. And so I appreciate the fact that, um, you just go where you need to go with it. Like mm. there's no, when I try, I try to. Which I don't do for anybody. I try, I try mm. my hardest to make sure that I don't box anybody into a style. Uh-huh. And I think that's what I appreciate about your work is that if somebody mm. were to ask me, like, how would you define Adrian? I'm like, I, I-, I can't. I'm like, I'm not gonna mm. say postmodern or you know, uh, <laughs> reformist or avant-garde. Uh-huh. It's like, nah, it's a, uh, it's Adrian. Like, this is how mm. Adrian sees the world. And so it could be, this is how, this is what Adrian felt like at four o'clock on a Friday in June mm. versus. That was Adrian Junior year after uh, after the Kavanaugh stuff was going down on campus Mm -hmm. or something like that. Like it it varies. And that's what I like about your style. So kudos Mm -hmm. to you for being true to how you felt in the moment and kudos to you for being true to this is how you want to show up um, Mm -hmm. in this space. And I think that that's important. And that's going to transition me to the next question I want to get to. It's something you talked about, uh, which is so important. And we say this a lot on social media. We say this a lot on Insecure. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Issa Rae. We say this <laughs> a lot uh, in, black, in, in predominantly black spaces, but I wonder what people mean when they talk about, um, you said sh- showing up uh, in this space, uh, showing mm-hmm. up create, in, in the creative spaces and inviting mm-hmm. others into that space. Why is right. it so important to identify the space, and owning the space and presenting yourself in, in, in these spaces as a black artist or a black designer right. or a stylist? Why is it important to do that?
1: Yeah, it, well, I'll tell you a short story really Go quick, for. but whenever, so I think it was last year over, I want to say like right before New Year's, I went and I visited New York and I visited LA right after because I was scoping out for internships, meeting mm-hmm. with different offices, trying to see which one I liked the most. Mm-hmm. And so when I went there, um, uh, Texas X actually DM me, he, uh, his name is Jared Royal. He does video work, a lot of photography, a lot right. of production as well. And he was like, Hey, I really like your work. Um, let's like chat whenever you get back to Austin and then we can talk and I can try and connect you to like some people and, you know, expand your work. And, you know, I think Part of what was so special about that was seeing how he's owned his own presence in the space. It's mm-hmm. important because, you know, when you see someone owning that space, it's like, wow, like he carries himself with so much confidence that I can do that, too. There's no reason why I couldn't do that. Um, mm-hmm. And what made it even more special was he's a Texas ex. And so uh, there were a lot of like relatable moments. He started in photography as well, transitioned yeah, yeah. into video And so for me to see another Black man kind of doing what I want to do, it's like, wow, like the only thing really holding me back, and Jared told me this, the only thing really holding me back is me. I Mm. have the work. I have the eye for it. All I need to do is step into the space and say, this is who I am. And sometimes it takes, you know, meeting someone like that for you to take that next step to go shoot with the agency, send this email, meet this person, and Mm. That's important, um you no, know, Jared does really great work, and he's tried to bring me on to other projects, so I've got to work with him along mm-hmm. this uh past year and stuff and so I think it's just been really really nice to see how he's kind of helped me try and better understand my own placement within the space, and he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, like if you want something, go for it, like you're talented, like there's no reason why you can't do what the next person's doing, so oh, awesome. I don't know it's like all the ideas that I, I always think are kind of like unattainable or unreachable. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, like, you know, make your pitch and then send it. So, and, and you know, I've gotten great feedback from a lot of that stuff. So I've always kind of just thought that, and before I had met him, I kind of just thought, you know, you needed to be discovered on Instagram, Twitter, yeah, like yeah. something like that, which a handful of people do get discovered that way. Sure, but sure. I mean, a lot of it is like knowing the right person to email and that, a lot of times that's what it boils down to so i think i stopped undermining um you know b- just being who i am and really giving into that mm-hmm. and you know a lot of my like work and my ideas are like solely inspired by music that i listen to mm-hmm. um and okay. Okay. you know the fact that jared works in music a lot kind of helped me find a way to you know bridge the two and find my place um, more in this, like, music area, but, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm thinking about images, um, songs come to mind because when I visualize the image, it's like, oh, I was listening to this song.
2: Mm-hmm. So okay.
1: I may not remember what song it is for every okay. image, but, you know, at some at, at that point in time, I was most definitely listening listening to a song or thinking about a song, and it's about trying to convey those moments to really humanize that person Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's like the, if I had to pick, you know, one thing that's similar in all my images, it's the humanizing quality in all of them. Everything is very human. It's not, um, too pompous or it's not too, um, dry. There's always that like human factor. Mm -hmm. Um, there's like this moment where you see it and you kind of, you empathize a little bit with the image. And so, that's something that I've always tried to do through my work, and yeah, I I really just think that when you're owning a space, um, really just going for it is important because uh, people will people will sometimes uh, kind of decide how they're going to respond based on you know your confidence level, how much of you are you, mm-hmm. and I was talking to um, this guy yesterday about working on a project and he was like i'd emailed him a couple of times and he finally got back to me i emailed him like once a week almost and he Mm -hmm. finally got back to me he was like i like your tenacity like let's hop on a call Mm -hmm. and you know had i kind of just given up and said been more shy about my approach and said hey like i understand if you're busy and you don't want to talk it's like you don't have to do any of that Mm -hmm. um you can kind of put your offer out in the front and say hey This is who I am. This is what I want to do. Here's my idea. Yeah. If you're interested, let me know. I'd love to hop on a call. And you can go, there's nothing wrong with following up and doing all those things. And so Mm -hmm. through this process, I've just kind of really learned to own uh, who I say I am as much as I can.
0: That's, you know, it's funny you should say that because that's how I got my internship at Mm -hmm. uh, a design firm uh, where I was living at because Uh all during undergrad, like at least that that last, uh, I'd say that last, Semester of my junior year, I would. They mm-hmm. came and visited, and I'd reach out constantly, mm-hmm. like every month. Hey, y'all have an internship spot? Do you have yeah. an internship spot? And then finally, my senior year, they gave me one, and they mm-hmm. said, "I really admired your tenacity." He said, "Most uh-huh. of your classmates usually give up after the first First two emails. And I just right. kept contacted them. I'm like, I'm, I'd mm. see them out in public. I'm like, hey, is this a small town? I'm like, hey, how you doing? You got you got anything open yet? And I just right. kept going because I really wanted that experience of being in a firm. And that's it was mm. it was that experience, not that it was bad, but it was mm. that experience that let me know I couldn't do this full time because mm. I'm like, I, I, I'm too I'm too energetic for this and being Mm -hmm. confined to this space would be too much for me. And so I'm Mm -hmm. like, I I need to be able to come and go as I need to. And I was like, I couldn't do that Mm -hmm. in that role. So I knew Full time work wasn't for me, but I knew freelance was because I could take Uh on the projects I wanted and I could create and work and and it'd be, you know, the vision that I want, of course, with the client Mm -hmm. needs as well. So I appreciate you sharing that. I think the last thing I want to talk to you about uh, two things, really. One, Uh tell everybody about starting uh, the onyx honor society because yes. and the significance of that specifically here uh-huh. at ut because you're going to have students uh that are going to take advantage of experiences and you may have students who ultimately get inducted into onyx mm-hmm. uh after listening to this podcast and so i'd okay. love for them to hear that as you um are one of the co-founders uh, of, mm-hmm. of this organization tell us about onyx
1: yeah so onyx is one of or is ut's first black honor society um, UT's never had a Black Honor Society before. And Deja and I founded Onyx because we felt like there was a need for, you know, there's a lot of discourse that happens on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And we felt like there was a need for that energy to be put into something that um, could lead to something greater. Mm-hmm. You know, our community is facing a lot of issues right now. Um, particularly as we're starting to talk about what changes can be made at the university level, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. how are we trying to honor the presence of Black students more? And I think there are leaders like Simona Harry within Onyx that are, Jack you know, Simone. at the helm of really just, you know, standing their ground and standing firm. And I, I really do think that's what um, makes Onyx different from a lot of other Black organizations. Is that you know we're not, you know, trying to are you know we do bring people together but that's not our main focus Um, one of our main focuses really to advocate and try and create a space that makes this more welcoming for students because Mm -hmm. i think a lot of times there are students who get lost in the void of everything because you know ut can be a tunnel for a lot of people Mm -hmm. um but onyx is really an organization that's been trying to champion you know opening up the space to be a light in a way sure so I think you know when those issues do come up you know we see them we talk about them and we present them to whoever so i think that's one of the reasons that we started on i also think it's important that you know there are centralized leaders that you can kind of look to whenever you're trying to get those initiatives passed um very recently i think um sg has kind of given black student organizations a more prominent space within sg and it's like why did it take a, you know, a thing like this for us to have space in SG? And, you know, it's very different from, you know, in the past, I've seen them advocate for certain things, but you're not bringing the right Black students into the room, you know, Mm -hmm. the Black students that have been talking about these things for the longest time. And, you know, I think that's one of the powers of Onyx is that we are looking out a lot for, you know, who's talking about this the most, um, Mm -hmm. who is kind of leading the conversation, True. And kind of being a plug to make sure that people are being put into those rooms because, you know, it kind of defeats the purpose if you know, our non-black president and vice president are advocating for black students with no black students in the room.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: you really, you know they should be giving opportunities for black students to be in those rooms. And, you know, I would even almost go as far as to say, you don't need the student body president and vice president in the room. You just, you need the black student leaders in that room. Um, right. And I even think things like that are you know, there should be an open conversation. Um, it shouldn't even just be left up to the student leaders. But sure. I think that's something that Onyx has tried to be consistent about is when we do have a conversation, everybody's invited. When we're talking about solutions, everybody's invited. And so there's never really been a moment with our events where we're like, okay, um, actually, we're just going to take this set of people. Mm. Uh, you're going to be the one to do this thing. Right. And so I think we're trying to, create a space that really elevates the black community. Uh, A lot of our programming got canceled for the spring, obviously, because of COVID, but we're actually planning a black state of the union where we're going to connect with the city of Austin. Mm -hmm. We had actually formed a formal partnership with the city of Austin, and um, we're planning on hosting an event that kind of would bring local black businesses in and try and bridge that gap, because I do think there is, you know, some sort of gap there between um, what's happening in Austin and mm-hmm. black students on campus. Yes. And so we, we really wanted to create a, a bridge, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's really the driving force behind Onyx and trying to be a guidepost for a lot of students, really.
0: Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that's important for everybody listening to note that these are student led, like people like myself who work for the university. We're not the ones out there creating that because we can only do so much. But when students come to the table for for the staff that are listening, uh, it's important to hear this and to create space, as Adrian said, for students to articulate like these are our needs. You know, I read the uh, mm-hmm. the list of uh, the formal requests from the student athletes mm-hmm. earlier today, and I thought it was well articulated. I thought that, you know, personally, if I can say it, I'm like, they're not really asking for nothing unreasonable. Mm-hmm. They got their work cut out for a couple of those things, but mm-hmm. they sat down and they put out a formal request. It wasn't a list of demands. It wasn't something that, you know, like pe- some people are trying to make that out to be. And I think mm-hmm. that, Uh, I love that idea of a black state of the union. I love the, even though my, my term is up, uh, as a uh, BFSA co-president, I do know that the incoming executive board, they, they've, they're they've they giving some attention to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, has, that did not fall on deaf ears. I want you to know that we, we heard you all's request for that. And that is something that I think they're going to work to try to create on campus. I know Dr. Moore for sure is definitely interested in helping you all do something like that. So please uh, right. encourage your, your colleagues who are still around, encourage them to keep that going. I guess one of the last things I want to give you a chance to do is just kind of tell the people, you know, what to be on the lookout for from you, how they can uh, follow right. your work and where they, where they uh-huh. can keep up with all of that at.
1: For sure, yeah. So you can find me my, on socials. All my at names are the same. It's my first and last name, A-D-R-A-I-N-T and then B-E-R-E-A-L, no dots or dashes in between. Um, yeah, I'm pretty active on social media. So if you reach out to me, I will most definitely see it. Um, be on the lookout for uh, an announcement about the black yearbook in the middle of July. There'll be something really nice coming. It's going to be really, really great. Again, I can't say too much, but I think (laughs) y'all are going to be really happy with it. And I'm just, I'm excited to share this body of work. Um, I can, I guess, drop some specs about, you know, the size of the book. It's a little over 300 pages. Um, so it's a lot of work. Um, there are, a number of photos, interviews. So I will say um, the books will be in limited quantity. So if when the time comes that, you know, they are released, uh, you don't want to miss out on this because there might not be a second drop of it.
0: Oh my. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Y'all. <laughs> so when this thing drops, get your Copy. Like don't don't miss out on this. Listen, Adrian, thank you so much for uh taking the time to talk with me today. I really enjoyed this. And uh For sure.
1: Yeah, so you can find me my on socials, all my at names are the same. It's my first and last name, A-D-R-A-I-N-T, and then B-E-R-E-A-L, no dots or dashes in between. Um yeah, I'm pretty active on social media, so if you reach out to me, I will most definitely see it. Um be on the lookout for uh, an announcement about the black yearbook in the middle of July. That will be something really nice coming. It's going to be really, really great. Again, I can't say too much, but I think (laughs) y'all are going to be really happy with it. And I'm just, I'm excited to share this body of work. Um, I can, I guess, drop some specs about, you know, the size of the book. It's a little over 300 pages. Uh, So it's a lot of work. Um, There are, a number of photos, interviews. So I will say um, the books will be in limited quantity. So if when the time comes that, you know, they are released, uh, you don't want to miss out on this because there might not be a second drop of it.
0: Oh my. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Y'all. <laughs> so when this thing drops, get your copy. Like, don't don't miss out on this. Listen, Adrian, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with me today. I really enjoyed this. And um, everybody that's listening, stay tuned. We got other exciting uh, opportunities coming up. So keep tuning into the show. Uh, Adrian, take care. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. To catch the next installment, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.
1: This podcast was recorded and edited in collaboration with the LAITS Development Studios Audio Department. More information can be found at liberalarts.utexas.edu slash LAITS. The intro song was composed by Ian Herrera, and you can find his work at ianherrera.com. The outro song was composed by Noah Keller, and you can find more of his work at noahdkeller.com.